About two and a half years ago, when I began going to Mass every Sunday for the RCA class, one of my very best friends asked me, why are you becoming Catholic? One of the reasons that I didn't fully understand and couldn't explain at the time was that I felt more connected to Jesus and all Christians throughout history at Mass. When my mom began going to Mass for her RCI class, she didn't know why, but she got emotional at every single Mass. And so this series is exactly about why our hearts felt the way that they did, and yet we couldn't explain it. And it's precisely because it's Jesus, fully substantially present in the Eucharist. Welcome to Crossing the Jordan, everyone. I'm extremely excited about this series about talking about Jesus and the Eucharist. And two things I want to point out as we go through talking about the Eucharist, it really brings out some fundamental ways of the Catholic teaching and the how to come to the truth. Because you can come to the truth through using logic or philosophy. You can come to the truth by looking in scripture. You can look at history, a.k.a. tradition. You can look at science. You can look at miracles. And what's so beautiful is the Catholic Church loves and embraces all of those. And that's the fullness of the truth in the Catholic Church. You can use logic, philosophy, scripture, tradition, history, science, and miracles. And the Eucharist is a perfect example of that because in the Eucharist, Throughout history, tradition, scripture, logic, philosophy, science, and miracles, it's all there. There's so many ways to come to the truth, um, and the Eucharist containing all of that, you can truly come to the truth, Uh, and it's just so beautiful. And another point is also is that why I love being Catholic is because when it truly it makes it truly makes scripture become alive, and there are many things about the faith that it's not. An either or, but it's a both and. So like when you read scripture, a lot of times people fall into heresy and that's how people fall into really big issues on how interpreting scripture is that they look at a piece of scripture and they're like, well, it has to be an either or. It's either works or it's only faith. Well, the Catholic Church would say it's both. It's either Jesus is fully God or he's only fully man. But the Catholic Church has always taught that he's both fully God and fully man. Uh, some people look at parables, but par- and it can only mean one thing, but it can have different meanings. Some people say it's, it can only be literal. Well, it can be literal, but it can also have a deeper uh, symbolic meaning to it. And that's what the Catholic Church teaches about the Eucharist. It's not just an either or. It's not purely symbolic. And then for us Catholics, sometimes we should agree that there are symbolic or resemblances uh, that uh, the Eucharist contains, but it's also literal. It's a both and. And so uh, that's what's just so beautiful about the Catholic Church I wanted to talk about and kind of hit up front is that those two points, and that it really brings out in the Eucharist because you can truly come to it through philosophy, logic, scripture, tradition, history, science, and miracles, and then also looking at scripture. It's not just an either or. It can be a both and. And so, uh, however, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, the two churches with valid apostolic succession and a valid priesthood, both of them truly believe in what the Eucharist truly is in the literal sense, that is Jesus fully present. And in that sense, he really is either fully there or he's not. And the church believes that he truly is there from the very beginning. So Catholics, we actually worship Jesus fully and substantially present in the Eucharist. And so because of that, it is not a small matter. And we're going to find out when we talk about in Scripture, like in John 6, when he was talking literally, people left Jesus because this is not a small matter. He 
really is fully substantially present and we are and we should be worshiping him in the Eucharist or he's not and the Catholic Church and all Catholic believers are big idolaters. So to clarify, these things are within the Eucharist, aka Jesus, is literal. He's body, blood, soul, and divinity there, but he also resembles other things uh, such as it being bread and wine, our, it resembling our work from God's creation, bringing uh, forth like from grain creates, creates the bread, the grapes and everything that goes through that whole process to create it to wine. And it's a symbol of unity. So all of those things are symbols that uh, God used in instituting the Eucharist. However, it truly is literally Jesus um, at the time of consecration at Mass. So when I was praying about this, episode i got a strong sense from the lord he actually wanted me to work backwards on all the other episodes i really started with scripture and then worked out through history and tradition i'm actually going to work backwards i'm going to talk about today and then work all the way backwards through history in this episode and then in the next episode we're going to dive into scripture so what does the word eucharist mean like where is eucharist in the bible eucharist is actually from a greek word eucharistia which means thanksgiving so in our english translated bibles and any of them you're never going to find the word eucharist but you will find that jesus gave thanks or thanksgiving and every single time that he multiplied the five thousand he uh um broke the bread and gave it to and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples at the last supper in john 6 Eucharistia, and that's also used in First Corinthians by Saint Paul when he is talking about the institution narrative in First Corinthians ten and eleven. So, uh, but it's primarily uh, not primarily, but commonly known outside of the church as communion. So, Eucharist means Thanksgiving. It's from the original Greek text of the New Testament, which is the only fully uh, inspired an inerrant word of God. Not all the translations are inerrant and perfect like the original text, the inspired text in Greek. So Eucharistia is where we get Eucharist from, Thanksgiving. And so what the church says today, in the Catholic Church, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you'll find that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian faith. And why is that? Because we believe that it is fully Jesus Christ himself. And that is the entire person that Christianity is centered on, that God became flesh. He was fully God and fully man in Jesus Christ. And he he had an entire life. He had a passion, a death, and a resurrection for our salvation. And that is all Christianity is centered on. And so that is why the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith, because it, it truly is Jesus. So the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church are the only ones, like I had mentioned earlier, with apostolic succession and valid priesthood that teach that at the same at the time of consecration at Mass, like so when the priest <clears throat> says the words of institution, the words of Jesus, there is no longer any bread, there is no longer any wine. It's completely gone. And the only matter that is there is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. It's hidden, he's hidden under the appearance of bread and wine, and you'll hear a lot of time, the accidents remain. So the accidents meaning that it it looks like bread, tastes like bread, looks like uh, wine, tastes like wine. If you drink enough of the wine, you will get drunk. If you looked at it scientifically, like if you hold a held a host, even consecrated host, scientifically under a microscope, you would see bread and wine. 
But it's also similar to Jesus' divinity when he was here under the flesh. He was fully God, hidden under humanity, and nobody, when they looked at him, believed that he came down from heaven. So again, in John 6, there was really two things that people couldn't believe, that this man, Jesus, is saying that he came down from heaven, that he is divine, that he came down from the Father, and he was there before all of creation. And then also, they couldn't believe that he has said that he's going to give his flesh for the, the world, and that his his body was true food and his blood was true drink and how they were going to do that and people left and so in both cases <clears throat> jesus hides himself under these appearances but he truly is fully god so the whole notion that well jesus can't fully be there because it just looks like bread well he kind of blows that out of the water with the incarnation <laughs> like it, it is inconceivable that god would ever become a creature and that's he became a baby. <laughs> At one point, he was in a his own creature's womb, and Mary. And uh, and so it's truly faith in what Jesus has said and done and proven to be true. And so, <clears throat> and another uh, thing that we teach too is that some people, like my struggle was, I was like, okay, so the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus is there in the Eucharist, but isn't Jesus everywhere? Like he can, I can talk to him right now in, in my house. I can talk to him in my car. I don't need to go here because Jesus is everywhere because his divinity, right? Yes. So God is present to all of us, right? He's omnipresent. So He, we can encounter Jesus spiritually through the Holy Spirit, but he is there in a very specific and a special way in the Eucharist. He is physically substantially there, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So it's just like in the Old Testament, right? God, he is not, he's never changing. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But in the Old Testament, he dwelt particularly in the Holy of Holies with his people. He drew close to them in a very special way. However, anybody could talk to God or pray with God from anywhere because he is omnipresent. He is not void of, he's not absent anywhere in his creation. He is everywhere. But in certain, uh, and throughout just divine revelation, God has always given himself more fully in certain, uh, um, I guess, sacramental ways, right? So he, just like in the Eucharist, so he is particularly and powerfully present um, there in the Eucharist, fully, substantially, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so that's what the Catholic Church teaches, is that Jesus is fully there. It is no longer bread and wine. And uh, so when you get out of Catholicism and into um, Protestant Christianity, you're going to see an extremely wide range, but this is consistent of all topics of Christian doctrine in the Protestant world is because there is no authority and there's only people in throughout history that thought the next person was wrong. So then they would start their own church. And that's the same thing with the Eucharist that we see. Uh, the Lutherans, they believe that Jesus is present, but really he's present alongside of bread and wine. So there's bread and wine and Jesus. And then you get all the way to the range that um, <clears throat> that he's spiritually there, like when you uh, receive communion. And then to others who teach it's purely bread and wine and it's just a symbol. And then that ranges from people that take communion uh not at all, ever. They never take communion. They don't even, I don't even know if they talk about it. Then sometimes they do it once a year. Other churches do it quarterly. Other churches do it weekly. Some churches do it daily. And so that is the realm and the spectrum that you'll see in the Protestant world. So, um, <clears throat> and just since I became Catholic, I've been Catholic for two years, I personally have known 
people who have had extremely powerful encounters with Jesus in the Eucharist um, that have truly, and they're always in the context, it seems like, of conversion or a deepening surrender to Jesus. And um, even myself, after my, my very powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, I had, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And thereafter, so many times at the time of consecration of uh, at mass my hands would like flare up i would get like heat like i could feel god's presence more uh powerfully at the time of consecration sitting in eucharistic adoration or going to the uh participating in a eucharistic procession i've seen these crazy things happen i've i've heard his voice more clearly i've seen his ways more clearly i felt his love more powerfully i've encountered jesus in the eucharist but some people i know have truly had very incredible like miraculous type of encounters with jesus um one time uh for i was at adoration i was praying with a woman and she looked up jesus in the eucharist and she saw jesus she said that she could see Jesus in the Eucharist. And then a friend of mine, um, he encountered Jesus in a during a Eucharistic procession where he said that when Jesus went past, he like got hit with his love that he knew that was Almighty God in the Eucharist. And then uh, Encounter Ministries, the ministry that's here in Brighton, Michigan, that got started because somebody who was going to college partying and didn't think any other religion was better than the other went to a church with a praise and worship night and he was sitting all the way in the back and there was a procession and the priest walked back and when he held Jesus up over him, he literally got pushed all the way back into his pew and was filled with God's love and he explained it that the encounter was with somebody that died for him. And that's literally how Encounter Ministry started is because he encountered Jesus in the Eucharist. Another friend of mine, he came back to the Catholic Church. He was born and raised Catholic, but he was never in it. And he was never told that Jesus was there in the Eucharist. And so he was at one point pretty against, he was pretty anti-Catholic. Then he came back to the church for like a praise and worship night and there was a Eucharistic procession. And he saw Jesus walking. He said that he could like see his sandals and everything. He was walking um, he saw Jesus in the Eucharist like that. There was a there's a priest in Ann Arbor right now who became Catholic because he came to Mass and at the time of consecration he heard Jesus say, "Come here, come home. This is your church. This is my church." And then uh, another kid, just more recently, like uh, I think it was probably within the past three or four months, locally at Mass, he heard Jesus tell him in the Eucharist, "Come home, come to Him in the Eucharist." Uh, I was watching a, a coming home network on uh, EWTN and it was a man who was Protestant, pretty anti-Catholic. He was extremely charismatic. So they were always operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and charisms. And one time there was uh, an event going on at a Catholic church and he walked past this adoration room, but he's never heard of an adoration room. He just walks past this room and he like gets hit with like the Holy Spirit and he's like, like why in a Catholic church in that particular room, why do I feel the Holy Spirit so powerfully? And then he comes to know that it was because it's Jesus fully substantially present in the Eucharist and now he's Catholic. And so those are just some stories that have happened during uh, me becoming Catholic and these are happening all over the all over the world. So now if we back up even further into history a little bit, um, about 500 years during the Protestant Revolution. So during that time, 
the authority of the church and the priesthood were all under attack. And so therefore all the sacraments were under attack, right? So it I, it wasn't all Martin Luther, but um, so Mar- it wasn't all Martin Luther by himself, but because he began this revolution, people took it as they thought was appropriate, right? So not everybody could agree on different things. Like not everybody agreed with Martin Luther. So they began their own church and then everybody was their own authority. And <clears throat> typically how that happened, it all hinged on first, they had to convince people that were Catholic, which were all of Christians at the time, that uh, they needed to pull them away from the church. So the way they had to do that was attack the authority of the church and the priesthood and the sacraments to get people away from the Catholic church. And so, um, but during that time, the church was unwavering and you look at history and all these miracles that have happened, it's still fully substantially present. So every single thing that the church teaches today, it taught during the Protestant revolution. And then uh, just some Eucharistic miracles that happened even earlier. So I'll talk about a lot of Eucharistic miracles right now, actually. But um, so Eucharistic miracles, they're typically an actual manifestation where the bread or the wine turns into actual flesh and human flesh and blood. And so this has always uh, primarily, as far as I know, has always comes in time times of doubt in Jesus's true presence in the Eucharist. And although that these are miracles where you can actually see human flesh and blood, like a host will start bleeding, this happens at every single Mass. And that's why Jesus allows these miracles to happen during times of people struggling with the true presence is because he wants us to know that just because we don't see it every time, it's happening every single time. And so there's about 153 miracles that are approved by the by the Catholic Church now. And so, and I was, uh, last summer when we were in Spain on the Camino de Santiago, one of the spots that we stopped at was Osobrero. And it's on top of this tall, like, mountainer. Um, and it was just beautiful. But also a Eucharistic miracle happened there in, thir- in the year 1300. And they still preserved those Eucharistic miracles. So we were there, uh, right there at the church. And so <clears throat> in the year 1300, during the mass, the host changed to flesh and the wine changed to blood. And it was expelled from the chalice, staining the corporal. The corporal is almost is like if somebody were to see it, they would think it's like a towel, <laughs> like a small fancy towel. And so the Lord performed this prodigy in order to sustain the little faith of the priest who did not believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist at that time. So to this day, the sacred relics of the miracle are guarded near the church where this prodigy took place and numerous pilgrims go there annually to honor them. And I was included in that. Um, and then you back up a little further in the 11th century, uh, the church, uh, defined transubstantiation. So this has always been true, but they had to, they wanted to formalize, um, like a definition of what happens at mass. And that's what we explained earlier of transubstantiation, that the substance of what it is changes, right? So trans, it changes substance, substantiation, the substance of it changes. So it's no longer bread and wine. All that is there is Jesus. So that is where transubstantiation comes in. Um, and that's literally, it's still, uh, it's not a changing in teaching. It's just literally just, it created a word and a, a, a final definition of what happens at every single mass. And that's been happening at mass 2000 years since that night of the last supper on Holy Thursday with Jesus and the apostles. And so I'll share some Eucharistic miracles, but I'm also going to leave, um, a, uh, link in the in the show notes just so everybody can go to that go there and if you guys want to look it up uh, more Eucharistic miracles or just Google Eucharistic miracles but um, 
So the one of the first ones that happened was in the eighth century in uh, Lanciano, Italy, and it was during a mass. And this priest was struggling with the real presence of Jesus, and the bread and the wine became actual flesh and blood, and that was preserved since the eighth century. So in the seven hundreds, and then in the nineteen seventies and eighties, they opened up these Eucharistic miracles for scientific investigation, and this is uh, one of the hundreds of. Uh, Eucharistic miracles that the the Catholic Church has opened up for scientific investigation by and it's usually done by giving it to people who may not even be Catholic and they don't know what they're looking at so then it's a completely unbiased and they so they're looking at it and every single time this is what they find the blood is miraculously still moving and is alive and even the one that was from the year 700 is the one that we just talked about. The blood is still moving and alive. And usually after a person dies and there is no life, the blood is also dead and it is no longer alive. But in these cases, in, the, in these Eucharistic miracles, they would find that the blood is from a human being that looks to still be alive because the blood is all still moving and every, everything within it is, says that this man is alive. And yet the man, uh, they identify it as uh, this. the blood is from a the heart of a man, specifically the piece of the heart that produces the blood from a man that's 33 years old, which Jesus was a man, 33 years old, was in shock and uh, from extreme torture and suffering, which Jesus was in shock from extreme torture and suffering. And his blood type that they identify in all these Eucharistic miracles are blood type AB, which is the universal recipient. Jesus receives all of us in his offering to the Father. Isn't that just so beautiful? And that is just so consistent with what scripture tells us. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about in the next episode scripture. And just a few other Eucharistic miracles I wanted to share. In 1263, there was a German priest uh, in Italy. His name was Peter of Prague. He was struggling with the doctrine of transubstantiation when suddenly, while saying Mass at the time of consecration, blood slowly began to emerge from the host at the moment of consecration. So, and then that was later investigated and it was declared to be authentic. And that was a Eucharistic miracle. And even today, during the Feast of Corpus Christi, the cathedral in Orvieto, where this happened, Orvieto, in it Orvieto, Italy, they exposed the linen stained with the blood from the host held by Peter of Prague there. And then uh, in Avignon, France, I think I said that right, 1433, there was after after several days of heavy rain, the entire city of uh the entire city was flooded, except for a path leading into the church where the Eucharist was being where the Eucharist was being kept for perpetual adoration. So the religious brothers who run the small church still celebrate the miracle by exposing the sacrament and singing a chant from the Canticle of Moses, which was originally sung when God miraculously kept the water of the Red Sea at bay during the Exodus. Right, so the entire church is flooded, and yet right down the middle of uh, like the aisle, there's no water. Like there was the water was completely cleared and it was standing up basically around that would lead up to Jesus in the Eucharist. Another one in 1649 in Peru, uh, Father Jerome Silva saw an image of a child Jesus on the Eucharistic host and an apparition of the divine child Jesus who was reportedly to have appeared to several people and that, um, that miracle is also still celebrated today. And that was just a few, and one of them also too. And the, there's even a Eucharistic miracle, I believe, that happened since 2010 that's been approved. And so these these are still happening, uh, and I would probably say even more frequently, to be honest. But another one that I just thought was so interesting is there was a Eucharistic host that somehow got out into the uh, into a field, and the farmer um, was 
going about his business and he saw all of his animals bowing down in this field. So he goes over there and he had, and he finds the Eucharistic host. All of the animals were on were bowing down to the Eucharistic host. And there's been so many other things such as uh, people with um, mortal sin on their souls where they'll go to receive communion and it'll turn like as hard as rock so they can't consume the body and blood of Jesus. So there's a ton of them. So I would just encourage everybody. I have two big, uh, decent sized books on Eucharistic miracles throughout history, but I would just encourage everybody just Google Eucharistic miracles and just start knowing them and then sharing them with people because it's kind of hard to deny miracles. Um, and especially when it's there in scripture, tradition, history, and in miracles. So it's just awesome. And then just one quote I want to share from the church fathers, but I'm also going to leave a link to all the church fathers that talked about the real presence of Jesus. Um, in the show link, so check that out. But St. Ignatius of Antioch in AD, uh, between one, AD 107 and 110. That Remember, this is a disciple and a friend of St. John, the author of the fourth gospel of St. John and uh, the three letters, St. John and um, Revelation, right? So this guy, St. Ignatius of Antioch, is really good friends and disciples of St. John. And this is his quote. Heretics abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, flesh which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his goodness raised up again. They who deny the gift of God are perishing in their disputes, end quote. So there's this one church father that was there at the beginning, knew Jesus himself. He, it's a tradition that he was the child that Jesus brought in and said, whoever receives this child such as mine receives me, such as this receives me. And so this guy grew up as a disciple and a friend of St. John. And he's saying that just a few years later after St. John's death in the 90s. And so um, you're going to find out when you go into the church fathers, right from the very beginning, even with uh, uh, Polycarp, who was also a friend and disciple of St. John and St. Innocent of Antioch, all the way through uh, all these church fathers, unanimous on the belief that Jesus is body, blood, soul, and divinity is truly uh, present in the Eucharist. And then when you, uh, we're going to get into scripture the next episode but when you go into the new testament letters you're going to find in acts 242 that people were devoted to the breaking of the bread and in first corinthians 5 saint paul talks about let us hold let us christ our passover has been sacrificed so let us keep the feast we're going to find out that the feast is the eucharistic table that's at a catholic mass then he talks about in first corinthians uh, 10 St. Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There is one bread who are many are, are one body, we are, for we are all partakers of the one bread. And so right there, we are direct participations in the body of blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from you what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the chalice after supper, saying, This is the chalice in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat this bread and drink the chalice, you proclaim the death, the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a man examine himself and so eat the eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So right from the very beginning, even with St. Paul to the letter to the Corinthians, that is a literal Eucharist. That is the body and blood of Jesus that you can even draw judgment upon yourself if you uh, don't, if you refrain from discerning the body and blood of Jesus or not uh, coming to him with um, a clean, pure conscience and soul. And so in the next episode, we are going to dive into why St. Paul himself, at the very beginning, all the way for 2,000 years in the Catholic Church, why we believe that it is truly, substantially, fully the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I cannot wait for the next episode. God bless you.